Good morrow to you all. You have fallen on bad times. Brought to you by Royal Holloway's Shakespeare Society. You join me, Cassie Dixon. And me, Jack Hardman, as we bear some bardy truths. Hello everyone and welcome back to Bard Times. This is Cassie Dixon and today we'll be discussing the use of Shakespeare's work in popular culture and how it can help bring Shakespeare to the masses. Here with me to talk about it today is Rebecca Villamore. Welcome. Hello, good to be here. How are you today? I'm alright, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Um, so first I want to start off by thinking about what exactly Shakespeare can offer us today. Um, when we learn about his plays in the classroom, we don't think twice about it because it's such a fundamental part of the British education system nowadays. We never really question why, though. So I wanted to ask you about the impact of Shakespeare on British culture and what you think Shakespeare as a writer offers not only modern audiences, but modern societies as well. Um, I suppose the kind of overarching reason why Shakespeare continues to be kind of so relevant is just it, he provides a timeless approach to not only the philosophical and moral issues of life but also kind of the more trivial and childish issues mm. um everything from kind of I mean didn't he make up your first your mum jokes and yeah he did plenty of like all types of vulgar issues but at the same time discussing the kind of deep philosophical discussions and I suppose he also makes us feel less alone as these kind of issues and problems that we have nowadays have kind of existed for hundreds of years and he represents this. Yeah I, I really like that approach and he obviously has such longevity when it comes to his plays they've uh, stood the test of time after all and they haven't really decreased in popularity over the centuries at least not to the extent that would have affected the amount he's taught in schools today. Um, but what other specific areas of his work do you say would have influenced popular culture. For example, his use of language. I won't say that he was the first person who explicitly came up with these phrases, but he was presumably the first person to use a lot of the phrases in the way that he did. So what do you think about his impact on our modern language? Um, I, I'm always amazed by, I think every now and again, I just kind of catch myself using phrases or hear other people using phrases and a part of my brain goes, that's a reference. That's a yeah. reference. And kind of it's past it, just catching yourself. So when I was when I was younger, I had a poster on my bedroom wall, um, which I think is probably still there, with all his kind of idioms and quotes in daily uh, used in daily language nowadays on it. Oh, brilliant. Um, and I think every now and again, kind of when I'm home or when I think of that poster, I just kind of remember all those phrases that are in daily language. So yeah, obviously the language is a big one. But also, I suppose, because it's been such a common point of education, so much changes in education with different governments and throughout history. I think Shakespeare provides a kind of really nice kind of base um, reference point yeah. that we can use with our parents, with our grandparents. Everyone kind of has some, everyone has that vague kind of same reference point that you can't say for a lot of other things in education. Um, and I suppose the other thing regarding kind of his longevity is although, yes, he has been taught in kind of education for such a long time, there are so many new approaches. I always find it really interesting studying not just kind of contemporary criticism, but the progression of criticism on Shakespeare because it's changed so much as critical theory itself has progressed which I find really interesting. Yeah absolutely he's he's so timeless and I, I love that about about his work because we just keep finding new things to uh, research and, and and find out about it and, and I think it's amazing. Also where did you get that poster because I want one? <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure they sell them at the Globe but I know it was designed by it was it was, a, well, it was something that was publicized by the Times oh, nice. um, which I'm pretty sure is how I got it. Um, yeah, I'm sure I got. I'm sure I got it from the Times offices at some point, but I'm pretty sure they sell them at the Globe now. 
I'm gonna look that up afterwards. Um, but speaking of of the poster, do you have any particularly favorite Shakespearean quotes or phrases that are used in today's language? I, th- I have to say, there are a couple that have always stuck with me. Obviously, there are kind of the usual ones that we use constantly and daily, but I think the kind of more beautiful ones would have to be more sinned against than sinning, but also love is blind. Mm. Love is blind. It's so, so beautiful, yet used so often, yeah. and they can kind of be interpreted or utilised in a thousand different ways in a million different contexts. I love the idea that he coined those phrases, and they're still used so commonly today. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I I love the the more common ones like wild goose chase and and such, but I also do like the more sentimental ones as well. As as you said, um, forever and a day, for mm. example. Yeah, I just completely. I love I love that. And uh, we have seen better days, which uh, I think can be applied to today's con- context. Yes, uh, both of them as you like it. But yeah, I, I I think it's just amazing when you think about it the impact that his work has had not just on British culture but the way that we use language today absolutely um credit given where credit's due that is just it's just very impressive to be honest yeah I'm sorry on the on the topic of that I suppose you reminded me of kind of I find it really interesting that we still kind of it's his language is so kind of interwoven into politics so I think when I was studying for my history A level or something and we were learning about the kind of the late 1970s and there's that kind of the whole year that's known or the Christmas that's known as the winter of discontent and I was like that's such an interesting language I wonder where it comes from mm. and my kind of teacher just turned to me and said well it's Shakespeare obviously and I was just kind of fascinated that it's still so deeply embedded in British political discussion nowadays. Like, yeah, absolutely. You make Shakespearean references so constantly and you don't even know it half the time. Uh, I, that's what I love about it. Uh, and I think the impact is even greater considering the fact that he's been dead for centuries. Oh, absolutely. Um, do you think then that Britain utilises everything we can gain from Shakespeare's work? Or do you think there's been a recent slump in ideas of how to approach his work? I think it's difficult because there are always going to be kind of new approaches and different approaches to his work. And especially in recent years, theatres in the UK have been experimenting with gender swap performances Mm -hmm. or single sex performances and diversity within the casting. And though I can't say that any of this is particularly new, though I suppose it's more mainstream nowadays rather than a few rural or international theatres doing it, it's the mainstream theatres. But I suppose there have also been new approaches due to technology. So the RSC's Tempest in 2016 used kind of a hologram-like technology for the character of Ariel. Oh yeah, it did. Which was incredible. I was lucky enough to see it at the Barbican in its original run, which had amazing reviews and incredible audience reaction. Um, But overall, I think I'm just really looking forward to kind of future ideas and productions, because I'm sure there'll be some good ones. Hopefully, yes. (laughs) Um, I look forward to seeing how other people interpret it. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. It's it's wonderful seeing everybody's different interpretations because everybody is going to have a different interpretation. Um, so we'll discuss in further detail more specific examples in in a little bit. But I'd like to ask now, what are the more creative formats that have been used to bring Shakespeare to wider audiences? I I do wonder a little bit if, at least until I think Shakespearean. I suppose reproductions only can only advance as quickly as art forms can advance. Yeah. So I'm. I almost wonder if for now everything has been used that could possibly be used. Um. And because I suppose because as whatever it is the most produced, uh, writer, playwright in history, it, there are ev- versions of every single art form. I'm sure that when the people are developing uh, virtual reality, Shakespeare's one of the first things they go to. I'm sure that when working on like holograms and such, and such, 
Shakespeare's one of the first things they go to. I wonder if he has been so deeply embedded into everything, if there really are any new, in that sense, um, more creative formats to use. But I suppose every retelling pro- provides something different. Yeah, I, I'd say that's a fair assumption, considering, you know, it has been centuries since they were first um, produced, and they can get a bit stale, considering how many times we've seen it. We know the stories off by heart, um, even if we don't consciously know it's Shakespeare or what play it belongs to, you know. Um, and as you said, it's it's very deeply embedded into everything that we do, every part of our culture. So it is it is hard finding new avenues and ways of of exploring these these same old stories but I think yeah I, I, I would agree with you in, in how the art forms will evolve in time I think Shakespeare will also evolve along with it yeah when we think of uh, TV and reaching younger audiences for example um, I know I've mentioned horrible histories on the podcast before but I just want to talk about it in a little bit more detail now because I think it's such a wonderful show and example of how to push well not push but introduce Shakespeare to younger audiences who wouldn't have wanted to learn about him in the classroom. Um, you know, Horrible Histories, is, it's educational, but it's fun. It's so much fun. And it, of course, it has a few sketches dedicated to Shakespeare himself. Um, so I wanted to talk about how the portrayal of William Shakespeare as a figure in history, in Horrible Histories, helps to reach wider and younger audiences in terms of the the format that it uses um well i suppose firstly it's obviously a show for all young people and especially nowadays has such a strong reputation i'm assuming young people or children nowadays are still kind of seeing old reruns and i mean it's still all on netflix isn't it so it's kind of it's 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 still a show that although it was kind of created for i suppose our generation it still has such a strong impact and reputation um but in terms of the format i think it just because it's kind of like in those short sketches you kind of it it allows for such a short couple of minutes that allows you to pique your interest in so many different areas of history. It's, I suppose, almost like a complete juxtaposition to the normal education system where, or educational perspectives of history where you kind of spend so long on maybe boring, uninteresting topics or whatever, um, to then have that in these short little snippets of just the interesting parts. I like to think that it kind of draws young children in, and I'm sure there are plenty of things that when I was watching horror histories when I was younger, I would kind of find something interesting and think, oh, we never learned about that, and then do some research on that. Yeah, I, I love how horrible histories has educated a lot of uh, school children, children more than their schools have. Oh, uh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I was I was having this discussion with my partner a few days ago and saying how I think horrible histories has done far more for most of our generation's history and knowledge than any of the education system, and I have to say, I think she was a bit disappointed and shocked by that. <laughs> It is. I mean, it is disappointing if you think about it, but at the, t- at the same time, it's nice that we do have those alternative options in our popular culture that are encouraging children to, to learn about this. Absolutely. Um, but with in terms of historical accuracy, I think when, when we get to any visual historical depiction, uh, that's a big pet peeve for people. They are always on everybody about historical mm. accuracy. Um, but I think, especially with more recent films like The Favourite and the TV show The Great, uh, this new stylized, humorous idea of history is now coming into the limelight. So do you think historical accuracy entirely matters when portraying figures like Shakespeare? I suppose given that we don't know that much about him actually as a person, I don't really know how much it matters. I suppose it depends on the individual person and the historical figure and what your 
changing or not portraying accurately. But given that there's something like horrible histories, the idea is to kind of bring the interest to young people of all ages and backgrounds irrelevant to the memes. So different media might use different portrayals of the man or of different historical characters to engage young people with his writing. But if it has the intended effect of getting the interest in the writing, I don't think it matters so much how it got there. Um, Obviously, all of these kind of different TV shows and media and movies are using the kind of the portrayal of the man to get the interest in the writing. The focus is on the writing and the literature. And as long as the interest is there in the literature, I don't think it really matters how they get there. Obviously, it might be a little bit different for something like The Favourite, where, again, I don't know that much about the kind of historical background behind that, but obviously, yeah, it is a really big discussion at the moment in historical accuracy, but you can never represent everything about someone's life in a in a, what, an hour and a half movie or TV show. I think it's about choosing the important parts. Um, yeah, I think it's relevant. And, of course, another instance of Shakespeare being portrayed in mainstream popular culture is season three, episode two of Doctor Who, which I know you're a big fan of. So could you uh, tell us a bit about that episode? Uh, Yes, it's a wonderful episode of... um... So it's kind of, it's the Doctor's first adventure with Martha, I suppose, um, before she's kind of become an established companion. He takes her on one quick, he takes her on one quick journey in the TARDIS and says, you know what, I'll take you to see a play. And so obviously he takes her back to 1599 London and they go to the Globe and they watch Love's Labour's Lost, as I'm sure many of us here are familiar with. (laughs) Um, And they, and kind of as they're watching the show, they become aware there's kind of like an alien issue going on or there's something strange going on of course being the doctor he has to investigate um and so they end up meeting the man himself and kind of getting to know the local area and getting involved with all the alien strange goings on it's it's a great episode isn't it absolutely i I, I love it yeah what links did you find in the episode what shakespearean easter eggs did you discover Oh, there are so many, many of which I probably didn't get when I was younger, but rewatching when I was older, I think I understood more and more of them. But I do wonder if there are any that I'm still missing. What I noticed in my most recent rewatch is a they have a kind of quick camera moment where they have a shot of the elephant. I think it's as a pub or an inn, which is a lovely reference to Twelfth Night, obviously. Um, and obviously there are loads of quotes from the Doctor and Shakespeare and the Doctor kind of steal each other's phrases and lines, which helps to kind of form that really nice dynamic they have with each other. So it's kind of like the Doctor will say something and Shakespeare will go, oh, I'm stealing that. And then Shakespeare will say something and the Doctor says, <laughs> stealing that one. And then the Doctor will say something else and Shakespeare will go, I'm stealing that. And the Doctor will go, you can't possibly, it belongs to someone else. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. And I, I love that's something that's kind of been picked up in in modern uh, depictions in, in mainstream media. I was recently re-watching Good Omens and there's a scene where Crowley and Aziraphale are watching um, a showing of Hamlet in the Globe and uh, Aziraphale says something and, and Shakespeare's like, oh, that's that's rather good actually. I'll just write that down and just sneakily <laughs> goes off. And I love that it kind of plays into the this academic debate over whether Shakespeare did write his own work mm. um, and I just I love the idea of him being portrayed as this this plagiarizing playwright and just nobody cares about it because it's so much fun absolutely <laughs> so to you what what do you think happens when Shakespeare and popular mainstream TV meets and to what effect oh I think it's such a good way of kind of portraying him as a character um and kind of, and obviously humanising him in a way, because I suppose in old kind of maybe more historical the ways of teaching Shakespeare or Shakespearean, Shakespearean education, people kind of just associated him as being just kind of an old fashioned antiquated author. 
But when you kind of bring him as a character and make him into more of a person, but yeah, into a character in kind of popular TV and movies and games or whatever, it becomes so much more of a kind of, oh, we can get to know him kind of as a man, as a person. What are his thoughts? What did he steal? What were kind of his jokes as a self? There's a really lovely moment at the start of the Doctor Who episode um, when the Doctor's kind of ranting about how amazing and impressive he is and what kind of wondrous and creative language he uses. And Martha's kind of looking a bit unimpressed and then Shakespeare walks out on stage and says, oh, shut up, you annoying lot. <laughs> and this kind of the Doctor's facade just crumbles and he just turns to Martha and says, never meet your heroes. <laughs> it's a wonder. It's such a wonderful moment. I love that. And and I do like that it, it humanises him as a man and it takes us away from that uh, stereotypical idea of him as the half-balding man and you know in that famous portrait and of course the the Shakespeare that we see in this episode is a far cry from that usual half-balding man that we're so used to that uh that luscious set of of, of almost blonde hair uh so what, what do you think of, of that portrayal of him personally I think it's a really lovely kind of portrayal of him in the Doctor episode as it humanizes him so much while still highlighting his genius they discuss the kind of emotional impact that losing his son Hamlet had on him. They show his racism towards Martha, and most of all, you see him completely powerless to the Carrionites, the aka the witches. But the thing I think I like most about this episode is the way in which they still bring the focus back to the words and the writing. I love the idea of a creature whose power is based on words, and I think they could really have expanded on that and done a lot more with it. Like, stop bringing back the Daleks. <laughs> they're, they're just salt and pepper shakers with a whisk. <laughs> bring back the Carrionites and make them more complex. But also I think it really brings the focus back to his writing and to the literature. While these shows always focus on the people, kind of, although the whole history is obviously such a lovely portrayal, it's very much focused on him as a person. Doctor Who does a better job than other shows of bringing it back to the literature and to the power of words. Absolutely. It, it definitely helps to uh, bring the focus on his language to... To, to, to different audiences and in such a creative format as well. Um, and, and what do you think then this appearance of Shakespeare does to modern perceptions of his work? Um, I think it probably just makes people kind of look at it from maybe a new angle um, or from a different perspective. I suppose when you kind of think about him more as a man and kind of put a, I suppose, a character to the name and a kind of personality or different various different personalities from different portrayals, you start to consider how it's not just... It's not so much just kind of the death of the author, I suppose. It's it's not just the words on the page. It's the experiences behind it. It's the things, the ex life experience, the loss of a child, the relationships, the affairs or whatever that kind of all went into his work and the emotional effort that went into it. Yeah, I, I, it definitely helps to modernise the man behind the plays and make him a lot more accessible and, I don't want to say relatable, but uni universal, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And... One of my favourite moments, I think, in the whole episode is near the beginning where the Doctor tries to hurry Shakespeare and Martha up by saying, come on, we'll all have a good flirt later. And Shakespeare just leans in and says, is that a promise, Doctor? <laughs> I just, I love that. One of my favourite moments ever. Yes. And then the Doctor just says, oh, well, 57 academics just punch the air in unison. It's, what a beautiful it's, it's brilliant. moment. I love it. Yes, it is. I love it. It neither <laughs> confirms nor denies anything. It just opens it up for discussion. And also, I suppose it's a lovely way to kind of present it, the whole debate around Shakespeare's sexuality, this whole intense academic debate. Yeah. It's a lovely way to just introduce it to younger audiences as, oh, he's just interested. He, he flirts with anyone. It's his way with language, isn't it? It's a lovely way of kind of opening it up. Yeah. By doing these subtle references, I think it, it does, as you said, it opens up the discussion to 
different types of audiences. So going off of what we mentioned earlier about uh, these stylized, humorous depictions of history, do you think then comedy is key to breaking misconceptions of elitism around Shakespeare? Yes, absolutely. I mean, his work is saturated with so much humour. It's it's always such a shame that this hasn't been used as a method to make it accessible in education for longer. Yeah. I think I'm always surprised nowadays when it's kind of taught so badly um, and people kind of come away from education or from school thinking it's just all this completely undecipherable, decipher- um, kind of old-fashioned language. Yeah. And actually so much of it is just vulgar jokes. I know. <laughs> The insults. Oh, oh, beautiful. Classic. Absolutely beautiful. No, they need to be taught because Absolutely. it's just something that needs to be, the, the people need to know about this because... Yes, I agree. <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a good way into, it's such a kind of good way, as you said, to kind of make it more accessible and make it more universal is to say, look at some of the humour. Yeah. Look at some of the humour. You don't need to go in deep into the politics of it. That's not necessarily a good way in to make it accessible. Go into the humour, use comedy as a way to get into it. I think it's a lovely way in. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's similar in a way that when people approach different languages, they always go for the swear words first, don't they? Yes. Um, And I think if you want to look at Shakespeare as a foreign language, then um, because it's very very hard to comprehend when you first look at it, Mm. then go for the insults, go for the the rude and vulgar Mm. phrases, because I think people will just enjoy that more. Mm. Um, Do you have any other examples of Shakespeare's work being referenced in pop culture or mainstream media? Oh, when you brought this topic to me, there was one that came to mind above all others, and that is the Second Centurion's movie. Oh, yeah. It's (laughs) terrible. It's such a bad movie in comparison to the first one. But it's such a beautiful and kind of chaotic and completely unrealistic and outrageous kind of portrayal of Shakespeare as a woman Mm -hmm. that this group of badly behaved schoolgirls figure out this whole historical secret code thing it's such a beautiful way of kind of of conveying this message that we don't know who he was we don't actually know anything about the man kind of as a person to be honest or his personality or his character you can make him into whatever you want him to be in your own mind yeah i like that and and i think with the stupidity and the ridiculousness of the film it definitely plays into the stupidity and ridiculousness of Shakespeare's work mm. because some of it is just absolutely outrageous. Oh, absolutely. And then, of course, you've got the you've got the the traditional aspect of a male actor playing uh, a female character with Rupert Everett, um, <laughs> wonderful actor, classic. <laughs> um, but in in other mainstream media, of course, you've got. Uh, Macbeth references in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban with the choir at the beginning singing double double toil and trouble something wicked this way comes in uh, in the nightmare before Christmas you've got Jack Skeleton referencing Hamlet holding Yorick's skull by holding his own head Um, (laughs) and then you've got uh, Sherlock Holmes saying the game's afoot or the game is afoot referencing Henry V. Is that in the original books? I wasn't sure that was in the original books. I think I'm just too... I think I know the TV show too well nowadays. I'm not quite sure. I, I have a feeling it is. I, I think I did research it, but it's it's gone from my memory at this point. But I, I think it might have well, been... It's a lovely reference. It is, It's yeah. a lovely reference. That I think I, I definitely almost... If someone said that phrase to me, I think I'd associate it more with Sherlock than with Shakespeare, which is quite interesting how kind of this language becomes so different, attached to different people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think that that's really interesting how his language has evolved in itself over time and how it's been associated with with other things um 
And I think mainstream music is another area where Shakespearean references are definitely seen, but are ultimately lost, unless you really listen to the lyrical context or are told explicitly by the writers, you know, we're inspired by this play, we're inspired by these characters, uh, which in a way is surprising considering the tradition of song in theatrical productions of Shakespeare's work. Um, so I wanted to ask, are there any songs that come to mind to you that uses references to Shakespeare's work? Oh, there's only one I can think of off the top of my head, and that would have to be Love Story by Taylor Swift and the references to Romeo and Juliet. And of course. It's, I think it just it ties so well into the story and into the themes of the, of the song, of this kind of whole idealised love that you think is going to go so perfectly, and then obviously it doesn't quite work out. But it's such a lovely kind of... I suppose, association to bring to just a classic pop song. Yeah, and I, I think Romeo and Juliet is obviously the one of the obvious choices to mm. branch out with um, because it's so recognisable as a piece of work. Um, so even if these references to Shakespearean dialogue or characters aren't blindingly obvious in these songs or uh, to, the, to the listeners, do you think there are still benefits to including the references? Absolutely. I mean, as an English student, I think I'm a sucker for any literature references and music, especially mainstream pop music. There's, I can't remember who it's by, but there's a wonderful song that's not that old where they kind of have, the, there's this whole line about your Jekyll and hiding. Yeah. And it's kind of like, if you don't know it, you just, you can miss it so quickly. But if you know it, it's such a lovely kind of noticeable reference. Uh, my friend and I always kind of used to, whenever we heard that song, would make eye contact across the room and be like, yes, <laughs> we know that reference. Good book. Yeah. Um, I, I think, yeah, I love literature references and music because I think it's always good to add in those kind of extra layers and those kind of Easter eggs. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean because as a, an English student, I am also very keen on any particular uh, literature uh, Easter egg that I can find anywhere. And I'm like, oh, I understand that. Oh, I know that. Oh, that's nice. Mm. You know, it's just, it elevates the piece of work that I'm looking at. Absolutely. And, and it, I just, it, it also elevates my enjoyment of it. And I think that can be said with cases like uh, Taylor Swift's love story. Um, so carrying on then from the tradition of Shakespearean song and dance on the stage, what do you think about the merging of Shakespeare and music in general? Oh, I think, I mean, it's completely essential. I mean, th since, I mean, since the very first performances, I'm sure there's been, I think there's been a lot of music within Shakespeare. I mean, I'm sure there's the Willow song in Othello and... yeah. In, especially in some of the other plays. I mean, I've been in quite a few perform Shakespearean performances and every single time the director insisted we must have music to go along with it. It's what Shakespeare would have wanted. You need to have the musical references. Um, and especially in more recent performances. So I think it was 2015, the National Theatre, I think it was 2015 or 2016, the National Theatre's performance of Twelfth Night. The musicians were kind of part of the cast as well and played characters. Mm. But also in, I suppose in other areas of pop culture, you're seeing more and more musicals which are kind of based on Shakespeare. So the two that come to mind are And Juliet, which I haven't got around to seeing yet, but as far as I'm aware is kind of, what if Juliet didn't die? Yeah. Um, yeah. And kind of it's about a more feminist kind of approach to the Romeo and Juliet story that happened afterwards. And then the other obvious one is Amelia, which is again about Shakespeare, but every single character is played by a woman. And that one comes from the Globe, which is really nice. So you know that there is kind of a historical background to it. It's not just a pop culture thing. It's actually, there is kind of like historical um, underlying. Absolutely. I, I need to see both of those production, productions if I can. Um, and on, on the subject of that, returning to Shakespeare's roots, how do you think modern theatrical stagings have helped to reach a more diverse demographic? so much I mean in so many different ways I, yes obviously I think the musicals and something like Amelia I think was a really good one as well because it was represent the story and the main character is about kind of I think it's about a woman of colour from that time 
and but it's still kind of it, it's it's about Shakespeare and it's about Shakespeare's life but he's very much a kind of secondary back character rather and he's just kind of he's only important in the story because he knows the woman mm-hmm. and I like that I feel like women are so much kind of in mainstream media kind of they're often there because of their relationship to the man it's nice to have it kind of flipped around in that way um and also just I suppose yeah in kind of having allowing kind of more as- aspects of diversity and having obviously the woman playing the man of Shakespeare it kind of reflects his own views of sexuality and gender very much Absolutely. And and following on from that, uh, we're seeing more and more productions these days often drawing on topical issues and subject matter and uh, especially developing attitudes towards the themes of gender and sexuality, thus creating a more uh, inclusive and diverse environment for their audiences. Um, but do you think there are any challenges in channeling the subject matter and how might they challenge pre-existing opinions on Shakespeare? It's an interesting question because I think the whole point is maybe just that it needs to be done more and more. I would love in, I think it was in kind of the 400th year or something of, of, of Ham, the 400th anniversary of Hamlet, the Globe kind of took on a project to bring a production of Shakespeare, a production of Hamlet from every country of the world or something, or from over 100 different countries or something. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I, I wish I'd known more about that at the time. I think I was just a little bit out of the loop at that point, not being based in London. Um, but I'd love to see more kind of international productions of Shakespearean performances and different interpretations. I think it's something that kind of the main theatres in this country are definitely working towards and kind of in the process of getting the hang of but it's definitely something I'd love to see is more kind of international productions maybe some more maybe East Asian or Latin American productions particularly I would love to see. Absolutely and and there are of course amazing productions like that out there but unfortunately we don't get we're not aware of them and mm. and they're not given the like enough credit because yeah. What what different cultures can bring to Shakespeare is absolutely amazing, and how just how adaptable Shakespeare's work is Completely. to different cultures, and I I think that's an important thing to pursue and and discover for your own self as well. Um, so in in the future, do you think Shakespeare should be approached in popular culture more, um, so that his work reaches new generations? And if so, how? Absolutely. I mean, I don't think that his I suppose legacy or whatever is going to die anytime soon if he's been this important for so much of history I'm sure he will continue to be for a very long time to come and to be honest I look forward to seeing in the future what they decide to do differently and what new interpretations there are whether that's using new types of technology whether it's more international productions whether it's moving into different art forms um yeah I'm sure there will be many more ways and I look forward to seeing how it's done and I look forward to seeing the new ways in which kind of makers and producers decide to engage younger audiences yeah i i think it's so exciting thinking about what uh new and future generations of of theater will produce especially with shakespeare it's just it's so exciting and invigorating and and seeing what new things are going to be discovered with his work um but i think that is all about we have time for in today's episode so i just want to uh thank you for coming on the podcast it's been really lovely having you thank you so much for inviting me i enjoyed it no worries i enjoyed it too um thank you again and a big thank you to everyone who tuned into today's episode this has been cassie dixon stay safe and in the words of the bard himself knock knock who's there